Welcome to episode 8 of Get Up in the Cool, old-time music with Cameron DeWitt and friends. This week, I'm proud to present my interview and jam with ethnomusicologist, fiddler, banjo player, and BFF Jake Blunt. This week's theme is African-American fiddling. Jake has access to private recordings Mike Seeger made of prominent black fiddlers. So he learned these rare tunes, and now you can hear them. That's right, this is another Get Up In The Cool exclusive. Jake uses these tunes to explain how African influence on old-time harmony gives certain tunes this circular quality, and he challenges some commonly held, you could say, black and white misconceptions about old-time music. Also, in this episode, we nerd out about Jake's spaceship fiddle, talk about how white Americans are afraid of dancing, and I spend a fair amount of time just gushing over how much love and respect I have for Jake and everything that he's about. Stick around after the interview to find out how to support the show and access this week's bonus track, Pork Fat Makes My Chicken Tan. Don't let the title mislead you. This is a profound, sensual tune about the hard-won fulfillment of your desires, culinary, romantic, and otherwise. If ever there was a time to start chipping in, it's now. You don't want to miss out on this one. All right, let's get started. Jake Blunt, everybody. Thank you. 
No shortening in the bread? No, no shortening. <laughs> that was just not I love you or <laughs> I don't know. Uh, there's Must a have safe, had a sad life. There's a safe hidden in the, in the old farmhouse. <laughs> no shortening in my bread. Yeah. Interesting. Uh, welcome to the show. Thank you. <laughs> Jake Blunt. <laughs> right on. Uh, yeah, what, uh, what, what's the deal with that tune? Uh, Georgia Buck. And what, what are we doing today? What's the theme of today? The theme is African-American fiddle music. Um, that tune is Georgia Buck. Uh, the fiddling part comes from Joe Thompson, who, with his brother Odell, were a notable black string band from the North Carolina Piedmont region. Um, the lyrics come from Dink Roberts, who is a banjo player who was uh, recorded in the same area uh, around the same time and uh, played it quite a bit differently. Mm-hmm. But right on. Yeah. So you did a little mashup. Yeah. The versions. Right on. That's awesome. Georgia Buck, uh, don't let your woman have a way. A <laughs> uh, uh, little piece of wisdom for us all <laughs> in these in these trying times. <laughs> uh, yeah, awesome. Uh, well, welcome. And uh, how did you how did you get into playing old time, Jake? Um, I had been interested in traditional music uh, of. American Slaves uh, for a while, Uh, starting at the end of my high school career, I started getting really into spirituals and blues, things of that nature, and examining how that material, lyrical and musical, reflected the experience and the lineage of the American Slaves. And I wound up uh, learning more about the banjo through a dear friend of mine, and uh, I saw Bruce Molsky perform at my college and then uh, make fell you down the rabbit hole, yeah. So <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I've been doing it ever since. Right on. Yeah, and when did you pick up fiddle? Fiddle is uh, two years in the fall. Two years in the fall? Yeah. Right on. Sounding, sounding hot. Thanks. <laughs> sounding <you>. good, man. <laughs> yeah, right on. Yeah, the, the banjo to fiddle p- pilgrimage is one I'm currently on, and it's... So it's a rough road. <laughs> it's a tr- it's a struggle, but stay the course. Yeah, it will be gratifying in the end. Yeah, I have all these uh, all these friends who've made that made that pilgrimage, but uh, they're all just like single, not dads. <laughs> so I they learn they pick it up super fast. They sound super good after a year or even a couple months, and I'm just like, Ugh. I gotta. You got a lot to deal with. You got a lot to deal with, but I'll, I'll get there. My goal is to have fun at Clifftop <laughs> on fiddle. <laughs> um, so we're at Black Creek Fiddlers Reunion. We're on the on the stage, um, although the real stage is all of the easy ups and, and tents, because this isn't really a performance or contest nope. get together. It's just a participatory th- venture. Yeah, only participatory. <laughs> um, so, but we're on a stage, and uh, there is a thunderstorm happening. Uh, not too loud so far. Um, bye, bye. Don't worry about it. If yeah. I really don't mind, I will. So, people are going to be it, uh, being friendly and, and saying hi to us here and there. Uh, and <laughs> I may or may not cut it out. <laughs> but that's, that's the name of the game. To uh, reestablish, just in case. We're on a stage at Black Creek Fiddlers yeah, Union yeah. in, in Altamont, New York. Yeah. <laughs> we uh, wanted to get away from most of the noise, but there will be some people who want to talk. And currently my 
son is squealing and maybe some of that will get through too. Uh, so I was <laughs> talking to, um, I think his last name is Sume, Tony Sume, or maybe it's just Sume. I'm not sure. He was, he was saying, so the weirdest thing happened last night. I saw this, uh, uh, this woman going across the field with a hammered dulcimer and set up by herself. And I was thinking, who did she piss off? <laughs> The hammer then, dulcimer, everybody. Yeah. <laughs> and then someone drove up to meet her. <laughs> and then I noticed that it was you. <laughs> uh, so, yeah, there's going to be a, a little bit of disturbance here and there and some little audiences, but that's, that's all part of what we're doing. Um, so, Black Fiddlers, um, and... Uh, Let's let's get right into the next tune. What do you want to play next? Uh, how about we do Will Adams? Will Adams. Now this is not the name of the tune. There is no name for is the no tune. Name. It so. comes from a fiddler named Will Adam. But now, bef- before we get started, is you have like some exclusive access to some files, some like top secret files or something, <laughs> and you did not send me these files. You said I have access to these files that are not public. And I will learn them and play them and talk about them, but I can't give them to you. So obviously this is like a very uh, titillating, like... <laughs> exclusive access. Exclusive access. I need more exclusives on my, on my podcast. But this is one of these. And what is this collection like? My understanding is that Mike Seeger recorded this guy, Will Adam, a black fiddler from Maryland. Yeah. Um, and I don't know exactly when, okay. but a friend played one of his tunes at a jam, and uh, I never heard it before. It was Tire Dog Sally Gal, yeah. which is the one of them that's been publicly released. Yeah. And uh, it was a really wild tune, nothing like I'd ever heard before, and I asked about it. And she put me in touch with another friend who gave me some more of his files on the strict condition that I not share them with anybody. Yeah. So I'm allowed to learn the tunes and play them. Yeah. But how do you, how do you feel about that no share policy? <laughs> I think as an ethnomusicologist and uh, someone who's like trying, like what is your... What is the ethic? What's going on here? I think the interpersonal morals involved uh-huh. uh, differ in this case yes. from the academic morals involved in that I feel that I asked him for something and he yes. gave it to me, yes. so I have to respect it. <laughs> um, I think from the perspective of someone who's interested in investigating the tradition and yeah. seeing how these things took shape, it's obviously important to share and share alike, things yeah. like that, but also... It's debatable to what extent the folk process or tradition right. are at play when the tunes have gone extinct outside of the right. recordings. So now that's all that remains. So the only folk process that's taking place at this point is the transfer of those right. recordings. Which is it's part of the folk process. Now. Yeah. I so mean, I, I, I view this as a time when we need to be thinking about new ethics yeah. and new ways of sharing or not sharing, as the case may be, totally. the music. I was uh, talking to Harry Bullock on the show, and uh, he um, was talking about. Have you heard his um, his version of oh, what's roll them simulans? Yes. Yeah. So he was saying that 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 is a transcription of an African American Mississippi uh, play party, which is like a acapella 
like kids game square dance kind of thing and then he turned it into a fiddle tune and then like my band's been playing it uh and like reharmonizing it and stuff so it's like in a way it's like this is traditional music but it's totally not too Mm -hmm. so this is like yeah an interesting time in the folk process where so many people are listening to recordings or looking at old transcriptions trying to revive something but even those transcriptions yeah it you they know they don't you, capture everything they don't capture everything and he was saying that like these w wpa people like you know they weren't trained ethnomusicologists they you didn't know, know what just they were like, doing just like music school classical yeah. classical kids you know and uh so but he was saying that you know even though it's like very imperfect that he thinks that that's kind of beautiful you know and that that's part of the tradition is like um kind of analog to the way that uh you know a tune morphs and like you don't get it perfectly passed on through oral tradition um are like uh sometimes like ignorant attempts to like uh archive like take something out of the archives and put it back in it's um it's going to make the tune have a life on its own too um some people are very are definitely sticklers about doing it the way that Salier yeah. did it or whatever, but you know it's like, and that is something that's important. I think I don't bill myself as a historical performer. I don't think right. that I am one. There are right. certain things, like we just played Georgia Buck. There are certain things that I know Joe Thompson does that are like Joe Thompson things. Yeah, yeah. So I'm gonna throw those in when I'm playing one of his tunes, but at the same time. When it comes to the Will Adams stuff, I copy a lot of the Boeings, yeah. some of that stuff, but the accent won't remain the same. The sure, instruments sure. aren't the same. You know, I'm not Joe Thompson playing on a fiddle strung with wires from my screen door. Uh-huh. It's not. <laughs> and, and let me say this. I'm glad that you're not. I, I am too. I, I think that would hurt. <laughs> uh, we were going to jump into the next tune, and I already forgot. What is it? Will Adams. Yes. You still haven't played it. Yeah. But then I do want to talk about this fiddle that you're playing afterwards. Okay. Because it's very interesting. Uh, Will Adams team. Yeah. Let's do it. Thank you. 
That's cool tune, man. Mm. I'm a fan. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Real good. Uh, let's talk about your fiddle. What what is this? What is this crazy looking thing? So this is uh, from a company called Elixir Violins. They make carbon fiber instruments. Um, it's a five string. Uh, it's called a Raven. This is their model that has a piezo pickup inside it. Mm -hmm. uh, yeah, it's a new instrument to me, but I'm learning to work with it. And it's serving me very well as this thunderstorm approaches. Uh huh. Yeah, I bet it keeps keeps up with humidity changes and stuff. And it doesn't change with humidity. Right. Right. It's yeah. Great. Yeah. <laughs> so yeah, it's like a like a shiny black and silvery gray like uh, stripe stripes side side <laughs> stripes like pixelated stripes uh, with um, this sort of like lighter fingerboard like lighter actual wood fingerboard yeah and then there's like a hole in the top of this the scroll there yeah so their neck design is rather unique in that um a lot of carbon fiber instrument makers will make the whole neck out of carbon fiber as well yeah in the interest of allowing <laughs> players to get their instruments fixed by regular luthiers yeah, yeah. and be able to plane the fingerboard change things that need to be changed they decided that they would start making them out of epoxy permeated wood, so it's still pretty much invulnerable to moisture. It's wow. still very, very strong. But uh, the neck is made out of carbon fiber reinforced mahogany, and the fingerboard is uh, bocote, which is a wood that I know nothing about, but they had in stock that was very bocote. pretty. Yes. So did you have this custom made for you? Yeah, they make each instrument to order. Wow. Yeah, when did you get it? I got it a couple months ago. Awesome. Awesome. Yeah. I'm enjoying it. Yeah, what were you playing before? Did you um, like what you were playing before? I loved it, actually. Um, I still love it. It's still alive, but hanging by a thread, kind of. Yeah. Uh, I have a 150-year-old Saxon violin wow. uh, with a lion head that I picked up for far less than it was worth. And Sorry, I'm ignorant about fiddles. What do you mean, lion head? Uh, it, the scroll is carved in the shape of a lion's head. Oh. And, um, <laughs> That's awesome. <laughs> Oh it, my god. <laughs> it's a lovely instrument. I absolutely adore playing it. Um, but I took it around to festivals last summer and it came back with a big crack in the top. Oh no. That I can get fixed, but it's just in a spot where it's going to keep reopening, getting bigger yeah. every time. So I needed an alternative and I decided to do away with repair bills. Yeah. And just go for carbon fiber. Wise. Wise. Yeah. <laughs> well, yeah, this one sounds really, sounds really good and it's probably a, a good investment for not having to do as much upkeep. <laughs> well, thank you. I'm glad you like it. Yeah, man, that sounds cool. Do do people ever get like weirded out by it? Um Yeah, I think it catches people off guard cuz you don't expect to really see a fiddle made out of something other than wood, yeah. but um I mean, obviously at festivals you're playing at night most often, right, right. so people don't notice, but um I think the fifth string is unusual for old time. Do you use it a lot? I use it seldom, simply because you if I if I overdo it, then people tend to <coughs> look at me sideways. Right, right. And I take that as my signal. But right, um, right. I use it if I'm playing in A. If there's a G chord, I tune that bottom string to a D. Yeah, and yeah, yeah, yeah. It'll just fill it up. Yeah. So you just sort of dip down there. Yeah. The little hints. Periodically. Yeah. And if I'm playing, like when we were playing the square dance last night, I wound up playing down an octave on it every now and then. Yeah, yeah. 
That was a fun dance. It was. It was cool. We had one square the whole time. Yeah. <laughs> but they were an enthusiastic square. They, they all seemed like they knew what they were doing. Like, they... I. I've been to a lot of square dances where it's mostly just sort of like, uh, where do, where do I go? Yeah. But they seemed like they were like, when they were swinging their partner, it was like fast. Yep. They so were getting abandoned. some, some tripodal motion. <laughs> and yeah. It was real good. I should have asked someone to sit in for me on banjo so I could have gotten in there. Um, I need to dance more. Just, Don't we all? Yeah. And I mean, you actually flat foot too. Uh, a little bit. You flat I foot a little bit. I hesitate to say that I flat foot, um, but I can do something right with my feet. Uh, I'm not sure whether it's flat footing or buck dancing. Uh, no one seems to be able to give me a straight answer as to what the difference is. Yeah. I know that buck dancing, you lift your feet higher. That's right. what I've been told. But Who'd you learn from? I learned partially from a professor who actually gave me my first banjo lessons back okay. in the day. Her name's Lydia Hammersley, and she's my advisor at Hamilton. And um, I have gone to camps and taken a couple lessons cool, here and cool. there, but I haven't dedicated much time to it. I'd be pretty interested in learning just because, like, I I grew up in, like, it like semi-conservative Christian home and not that there was like no dancing like they you know but like wasn't footloose yeah it's still like <laughs> no they would have totally supported me if I wanted dancing that's not what I'm saying it's just like there's I feel like there's a lot of like bodily repression and you know what I mean yeah and like uh, like that I feel like that often manifests itself in people not dancing you know here's the thing in Philly, in Kensington neighborhood, when uh, I see I see all the time little black babies dancing, and they know exactly what they're doing because their parents dance, you know, and they see it and they grow up around it, and they're like, this isn't like a this isn't like a thing that's going to draw attention to me or make people look at me in a way that's makes me uncomfortable. They're like, no, this is just what you do when you're with people. You dance together. I didn't like grow up with that, you know. Partially because, you know, there's like a lack of um, a lack of, of that sort of culture. You have to be like part of a tradition or or just be willing to just do it, yeah. you know, so. Uh, I think, I don't know, to an extent it is that your parents dance, whatever the case may be, but it's also just a differing sense of values. In yeah, that yep. Among black people and in black communities, dancing is a really valued and impressive skill. Yes. And... I have not found that to be the case in the whiter spaces which I have occupied. No. Yeah. So I think there's also something to be said for just the differing values of skill sets and what people expect you to be good at. Yeah, totally. And uh, I especially notice it in, like with the kids in my after-school program, like um, the black and Puerto Rican students are, um, it, it is an extension of their masculinity, specifically dancing. Mm -hmm. It's like... It's not like this is like a uh, like a girly thing or something. They're like, no, this is like me, like fronting, you know, and just like being, uh, like showing off, you know, and yeah. like like uh, making people enjoy me, you know, and yeah, uh, yeah that's not <laughs> like whenever. I, I'm less that way now, but I'm still like on that journey. Like I want to like be better at dancing. And uh, I, I still have to psych myself up, 
you know, to dance like at like a wedding or something. And uh, I think something that would like be really good for me is to like have a an actual tradition to like to sort of I can engage that part of my brain of like the musician part and like the heady part you know, and be like, oh yeah, these different dance moves and I can put them together in this way and think about it more melodically. And then once I get that together, then I can start like enjoying it in the way that it's supposed to. But I, that's sort of the direction I have to head into this sort of thing, you know? Yeah. Uh, it's how I got into old time too. But growing up, parents, music in the household, what's what's going on there? Both of my parents have played music yeah um neither of them do it actively anymore they just got wrapped up in like having careers and children sure. and these things that we sure. do um so my dad would play my sister and i to sleep at night on the acoustic guitar awesome every once what, in a while what did he play he'd play like puff the magic dragon excellent blown in the wind all so the, like, he folk was revival stuff folk revival okay yeah. great and like james taylor stuff yeah. like that and my mom loves musicals Okay. Sings Broadway nonstop, and my sister will join her. There's some fabulous harmonies in our household. Um, <laughs> That's awesome. Do you do you like musicals? I I have not caught the bug in the way that they have. Mm-hmm. It I does like, seem to be I a like bug. certain musicals. Like there's yeah. something kind of wrong, but they're enjoying themselves, and it's not hurting anybody. Yeah, I think there's a difference between like liking certain musicals versus like liking musicals. Yeah. You know. Yeah, there's a different. Yeah, there, some people are just like Broadway. Yep, <laughs> and it's like Ugh. it fills their being. <laughs> yeah, and they they have a predisposition for it. Oh yeah. Yeah, I I don't know. I like it pretty well. I liked it really. It was a big part of my like growing up to be a musician, being in musicals in high school and stuff. But then I like tried it again in college, and it was like this isn't doing it for me anymore. So. Yeah. I mean, I'm not trying to throw shade on musical theater at all. Uh, <laughs> played only two tunes so far. Let's get to the next tune. What are we playing next? Rolling River. Rolling River. And this one comes off that record, Altamont, that got put out a while yes. ago. Yes. Um, it's a fun tune. Um, you don't hear it that often, but I think it does a good job of illustrating some of the kind of circular patterns that I've noticed tend to be common in yeah. black fiddling. I guess we can talk about that later. Right on, but, yeah. Yeah. Thank you. 
<laughs> oh man, I think the only reason I didn't go into a total trance is because of that weird rhythmic thing yep. that happens. This is the thing I've noticed happen in tunes. I think that this is technically square. Um, I'm not sure. I haven't thought about it. it well, <laughs> maybe it doesn't feel crooked. I'll say it that. feels crooked to me. Maybe I just am conceiving of one being on a different spot, and it seems like the A lasts for one more beat, and that the B has one less beat than it should, hmm. which means that it still like still adds up. Yeah. But that's how it feels to me. Gotcha. But yeah, I'd be interested to like be in your brain and see how like how you're conceiving of where the where one is if you yeah. even think of it in the in those ways. But I found. When I'm learning things off old recordings like that, because oftentimes the timing can get a little wonky, right. whether because like the disc or the record was right. recording improperly or people were just messing right. up a little bit, right, the tunes right. can be so weird and the rhythmic accents can be so foreign that it's often just helpful for me to ignore the right, right. measure count and yes. just learn the melody and then feel out the rhythm as I go. Yeah, it's because there's some there's something intuitive happening there yeah. that makes sense to to make a tune crooked yeah. or you know sometimes it's like a melody thing but then like the melody is crooked period but sometimes yeah. i feel like something about the way it turns around it's easier to wait an extra beat or to cut an extra beat yeah you know there's like a reason yeah. for it some intuitive reason it's not just like let's be quirky and do another beat you yeah. know <laughs> like it'll totally throw everyone off <laughs> and ruin jams you know like they're not thinking that way you know i'm assuming <laughs> yeah i i would hope yeah but i think that one i could see that being the case just because it um it circulates in that way the yeah. b leads directly into the a yeah and yeah for that reason, it's hard to tell where the parts are yes. if you're not used yes. to it. And I've had people ask me with that one whether there are two parts or whether it's just... I, I don't know how people would conceive right. of it otherwise, whether it's several parts or just one really weird long part. Yeah. But it's it's a confusing one. Uh, yeah. And I think um, it speaks to a tendency I've noted among black fiddlers. Yeah. And I hedge that hugely because... Obviously, these traditions, when we talk about black fiddlers versus white fiddlers, the traditions are often more similar than they are different. Right. And you're often speaking more about a geographical area right, than right, an actual right. group of people. Um, so from my perspective, one of the reasons I like Will Adams so much is because he's in Maryland as a black guy. So he's kind of in this musical context where he's at the joining of North and South. Yes, and because yeah. we know black fiddlers were playing for both black and white audiences at the time it's likely that he was operating in that same uh racial conflagrations that, yeah. that may be the wrong word um <laughs> couldn't tell you sorry yeah he's operating in an in an integrated space and um i think it's interesting to look at his stuff from that perspective yeah. but um that aside, we do know that there are differences. Joe Thompson uh, talked. There's a great book called African Banjo Echoes in Appalachia mm. by a woman named Cecilia Conway, uh, who teaches, I think, at Appalachian State. And she interviewed Joe and Odell Thompson, among many others. And uh, Joe, I believe, mentioned that there are different qualities that different audiences sought. So rather than the musicians necessarily playing differently on their own, he mentioned 
that black folks need a strong rhythm and they need yeah. to hear the rhythm and that's the most important part. Yeah. And that for white audiences, he had to do more intricate bowings, he mentioned specifically. They need to hear that bow shuffle, I think the word yeah. was. And obviously the way we think of shuffle now, you can hear the shuffle anyway or else there isn't a rhythm. Right, but, right. Um, there seems to be some some stylistic difference right. in the ways the what the audience is appreciated. Interesting. And I think one of the things I've noticed with Black Fiddlers, getting back to what I was trying to say originally, is that there tend to be these circular tunes. And um, that one was not from Will Adam, uh, but uh, in many of his as well, including the modal tune we played earlier, uh, there's this sense of indeterminateness. The tunes yes. aren't going anywhere. Yeah. And they can just continue for as long as is needed. And a lot of tunes in theory are like that. Yes. But these are at least what my friends and I would call trance tunes. They're things that you just play over and over and you zone out. I think maybe from a theoretical standpoint, maybe the reason if this feels circular is because it always end it feels strongly in G. Yeah. But it always ends on an E. Mm -hmm. And so if it doesn't. There's no cadence. Yeah, and end. when when we when we end the tune, we end it on the E minor, but it still feels like it could it could keep going forever. Yeah, it's not like shave and a haircut, two bits. You know, it yeah. doesn't have <laughs> any sort of taggable. You know, like uh, harmonic tension. It's yeah. all just like yeah, smooth rounded edges. You know? Yeah, and I think. The modal tune obviously has a little bit more movement going yeah. on in that it has, you know, that slide coming down, different things happening. But um, there's one also that Will Adam plays called Uncle Tom and the Wolves that David Bragger recorded on his latest record. Um, That's a good title. Big Fancy. It's a great <laughs> tune. And it is truly just this circular thing where I, I think it does cadence to the tonic um, at the end. But... Um, it it just keeps going. It's something where you can listen to it and get lost in the rhythm, get lost in the melody, and just enjoy what you're doing. And I think that does speak to a stylistic difference. And I'm always really hesitant to link things back to Africa because I think yes. people make a huge jump when they do that into things that we don't necessarily know a lot about. Right. But as... Um, the scholar Jacqueline Cogdell JJ recently uh, published there are documented fiddles in Africa. We know that there are fiddle oh. traditions over there and they don't look like our fiddles. Yeah. But we also know, um, based on documentary evidence of uh, missing slave advertisements, etc., that were collected by G Dina J. Epstein, um, we know that fiddlers were much more common than banjo players among the slaves. And often we get fed the opposite narrative of the banjo's the African instrument, and that, that's yeah. why black people play it. Right. And uh, I think that kind of gets linked into the very... right now. <laughs> my entire paradigm, which is great. Yeah. That's what I want. <laughs> and I think we get really locked into this like narrative of rhythm from Africa, yeah. melody from Europe, when really there's a much more complicated interaction happening there, and I'm not willing to go so far out on a limb as to say what comes from where. Yeah. But I do notice listening to fiddlers from Fulbe, Hausa, Dagamba peoples in Africa, there are similarly circular tunes that they play on their fiddles yeah. that are um, very reminiscent 
of what Will Adam does, what some other people do. And I find that very fascinating. And I hope someone goes and studies it. <laughs> Wait, no one's like done a thing on like uh, American slave music, uh, slave fiddling. Yeah. And um, people have, African fiddles. People have done the banjo thing to death. Yeah. And I think that's, I think this speaks to that kind of notion that the banjo is the black instrument and the fiddle is the white yeah. instrument that I talked about earlier, um, that people haven't thought to do this research. But um, one thing that uh, JJ, who I mentioned earlier, um, spoke about or wrote about in her article was that there is this gap in knowledge. No one yeah. has really done the comparative study of Appalachian fiddling and African fiddling. And yeah. because of the way the music was marketed, because of... Uh, urbanization and trends in that sense and a lot of um pressure from the minstrel shows to yes. kind of ditch the plantation forms of music uh we don't have many of the tradition bearers left right and i was fortunate enough to learn a little bit from rhiannon giddens and hubby jenkins of uh the carolina chocolate drops yeah. and they learned from joe thompson and were able to pass on a lot of the stuff they learned firsthand, and that was immensely valuable. And you have to think about how much has been lost, what history we don't know. And Man, if only there were some like young, like bold ethnomusicologist out there who was like interested in, you know, in with, figuring this stuff out and documenting yeah, it with with money to go over to oh, Ghana there's the kicker. Or wherever <laughs> there's and, the kicker. Yeah. Uh, uh, this is the proposal. Yeah, <laughs> uh, Jake Jake Blunt wants to go to Africa. Yeah, to uh, to study uh, traditional African fiddling. Someone and, fund uh, me. <laughs> throw money at us. Yes, please. And by us, I mean at him. Sorry, not at me. <laughs> I don't need to cut from from this exposure. Uh, dude, that's awesome. I love that you just like drop those bombs. This is like what I want on this show. It's perfect. Uh, we need to get to uh, D. Yeah. And what are we going to play? We are going to play Money Merc, which Money is Merc. another one from Will Adam. Um, he plays it in E, but it's very awkward in E. Okay. So I learned it in D instead. Sure. Uh, which traditionalists are wagging their fingers at me. But like I said, I am not a historical performer. It's not what I aspire to. Um, uh, but ain't nobody got time for that. <laughs> <laughs> I think for me... <laughs> The big impetus behind learning a lot of these tunes is the desire to bring them back into circulation. Thank you. And <laughs> I think if I learn something that's in a weird key, I you know, we had an E minor jam the other night. I can do that if I want to, but what am I going to get people playing? Yeah. A tune that's kind of awkward in E or a fairly straightforward, if twisty and unusual tune in yeah. E. By the way, those of you who are willing to break through whatever paywall I set up, there will be a bonus track in E minor. And we jammed on it uh, two nights ago, and it was awesome. So a little incentive there. <laughs> Excitement. Yeah, let's uh, tune to D break. real quick, and then we'll play Money Merc. Uh, all right. Why is this called Money Merc? What is that? Uh, I don't know. It's just on the recording. He said it's called Money Merc. Um... I'm not sure. There's a Money Musk that's more common. I've heard of Money Musk. Yeah, Money Merc, I have never heard anywhere else. I've never heard the title anywhere Maybe he else. hiccuped when he said Money Musk, and this is just another Money Musk. It doesn't Musk. sound that way. <laughs> doesn't sound that way. 
We'll see. Uh, by the way, I like in the recordings you sent me, uh, you always in this very flat voice go, money mark. And then you play <laughs> it, and then at the end of the recording you go, money mark. <laughs> I'm trying to be helpful. Yeah. <laughs> no, it's, it was very helpful. I don't know why that was endearing to me. <laughs> All right, I'm good. All right. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to let you start this one. This is like... This is this one's kind of hard. These last two yes. tunes are kind of hard. So I'm gonna, yeah, this is this is where we hit the rough patch. Here it comes money, Merc. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, that first tune as sweet as that is, it makes you work pretty hard. Yeah, yeah. Um, <laughs> Must be sweet to listen to. Yeah, but we're both just like. <laughs> <laughs> it's weird. It's one of those tunes where there's not many notes involved, but because of that, they make you work harder yeah. to make them right. <laughs> Do you conceive of that as being like a, a minor two chord? 
That's what yeah. I was playing. Yeah? Yeah. You don't hear that every day. Like, in tunes. Like a minor two chord. Not too often. Yeah. I don't know. I'm, I like it. Yeah, I I haven't thought about it that quarterly. Um, of course. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> um, this is not my chord instrument. That yeah, yeah. said, um, I trust your interpretation. Well. But. <laughs> yeah. Thanks for letting... Yeah, like, I always... You know, when, when people bring in their, like, super traditional, like you know stuff I'm always just like I'm gonna I'm gonna do some non-traditional stuff on it I hope that's okay yeah <laughs> please tell me if it's a little too much uh but partially that's just because like I still have a lot to learn about like how the how the banjo is supposed to be played yeah. you know <laughs> like I'm don't I, we all I'm, yeah uh some of us don't some of us know know exactly how it's supposed to play through <laughs> they have arrived <laughs> they're the bodhisattvas for the rest of us <laughs> uh all right let's tune back to g and then i want to ask you about uh this record that you uh is it released uh it's going to be very going, shortly probably by the time this is out it yeah. will be released Most and likely. so i want to i want to talk about that all right here we go tuning <laughs> Tell me about this album. What's what so the album is called Rise Again. It's actually an EP, so it's um, five songs in length, and um, it's a collaboration between myself and a friend of mine by the name of Emma Joy, who has her own EP out called Muse. It's very beautiful. Um, we are both musicians and activists, and um, approaching this work, we really wanted to. <coughs> use our individual and pretty separate musical backgrounds mm. to discuss modern issues of social justice and kind of pay tribute uh, to those who've gone before us. So um, her angle as a more modern folk and pop musician was to talk about current struggles for reproductive rights, um, things of that nature. And my angle as someone who plays traditional music was to go through and dig up older tunes and figure out how we might use those just as they are or in the case of some um, repurpose and recontextualize them to speak to a newer more contemporary experience yeah yeah how do you how do you use this music for like these purposes like activist purposes yeah. what does that look like well, I think I always have a kind of uh, cognitive dissonance, I guess, going on whenever I try to repurpose Appalachian music to speak to something else. I sure. think when I'm talking about something like Black Lives Matter, um, something that's really relevant now and something that's really a racial justice issue, I tend to think, well... As we've established now, this is also an African-American tradition, yeah. and so much of African-American music is born out of struggle, and uh, the attempt to make something fun out of something terrible. Yeah. And I think I approached it from that angle sometimes, and also um, just with an understanding that everybody experiences suffering of different kinds, and... For me to, as we did, uh, take a tune like Chilly Winds that's just kind of about hard times and struggling in yeah. general and repurpose that to speak to the experience of a 
queer youth person uh, whose gender we did not define, um, yeah. who's been thrown out of their home and um, trying to make their way through life yeah. despite that and struggling with the things that we do. It's um, it's not that much of a leap. It sounds yeah. like it's a totally different experience, but you know the original songs. You know, see you when you haven't got a dime. See you when your troubles are like mine. Yeah. The the initial impetus behind the song was to make something danceable and fun yes. out of a struggle. Yes, and. That's something that we did there, where it's not a happy song, but it is right. a toe-tapper. It's something that gets yeah. people engaged. And I think that's something that Appalachian music can do that modern music doesn't, because it doesn't strike you as being hit with a two-by-four about some social issue. You right. hear it first as music, and then you hear the message. Man. And I yeah. think that's where it came into play for me personally. And I think... It was a really fruitful experience to get to work with a songwriter and a musician as talented as Emma and work together to make those tunes into at once something new and something old and to be able to write our own material and tie it back into yeah. the older traditions. I uh I've just I like you a lot. <laughs> I'm, uh, I'm just well. Thank you. I'm enjoying you, and I'm enjoying myself being around you. And uh, yeah, I just, I don't know. I feel just kind of brimming with admiration right now. Everything you're saying is just like, I, I feel so affirmative of. And, <laughs> well, and thank I need you. To hear you. I like you too. No, thank you, Jay. <laughs> no, seriously, this is uh, such a good, thoughtful things. Um, yeah, it means a lot. Well, thanks for having me on the show. Yeah, man. Can... Let's play our last tune. Yeah. Uh, what? Uh, what's the name of this tune? Tie Your Dog Sally Gal. Tie Your Dog. And this is the one I probably did the most historical interpretation of. Mm -hmm. um, there are many versions in modern circulation because this is the one that got published previously. So it's on a collection of Mike Seeger's recordings that's available on iTunes and other places. Yeah. Um, it's a great tune, um, but I really tried to pay attention to Will Adams' bowing, and especially drones in the parts that are not the A part. Um, and it's debatable how many other parts there are. Um, yeah. But, <laughs> yeah. I'm excited to watch your fingers. Well, I'm actually, this tune's really hard. I don't think I'm going to be able to watch your fingers. Yeah. <laughs> maybe, maybe afterwards, because it... I want to know how it looks because I'm working my ass off to play yeah. this on banjo and I really want to see how it looks on fiddle. So maybe I probably the same. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you. 
There is nowhere to take a break in that, too. No. <laughs> so, about a month after we recorded this, my wife and son were out of town, so Jake and Scotty Leach came to Philly to help me celebrate my birthday. Jake made me carrot cake because he's thoughtful, generous, and one of my favorite humans. Thanks, Jake, for being so kind and making a potentially depressing birthday into the best one yet. Also, I'm sorry we played the historically racist tune Turkey in the Straw while you, the only black person at the party, made us all fried chicken. That was an unfortunate oversight on our part. You would have been justified had you chosen to make us feel way worse about it than you did. But either way, thanks for saying something. Also, Jake's old-time band, The Moose Whisperers, <laughs> won first place at Clifftop this year. I'm just... I'm just so proud of them. Their Durang's hornpipe just blew everyone away. Great job, guys. You earned it. I'll put a link to the video in this episode's description. When you're done watching that and getting your face melted, make sure to check out the EP he mentioned, Rise Again, Jake Blunt and Emma Joy, uh, also linked. If you want to support the show and get access to this week's bonus track and other exclusive content, go to CameronDeWitt.com, C-A-M-E-R-O-N-D-E-W-H-I-T-T.com. Once you get there, click on the button that says Patreon, or click on the link in this episode's description. Special thanks to my new patron, Will Mosheim of Cedars Instruments. He's a banjo maker, and a really good one. I've played his banjos. You should check him out. Uh, he gets to hear us play Pork Fat Makes My Chicken Tan. Don't be jealous. Just follow his example. The way podcasting works, it has to be free or no one will listen. But I put a lot of time and love into this show. I treat it like a second job. If this show means something to you like it does to me, let me know by throwing in a few bucks. Also, don't forget to like and share the show on Facebook. And come back next week for more Get Up in the Cool.